Open your Bibles quickly, please, to the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. Hallelujah. I just love the Holy Ghost. You know, the long, older I get, the more I live, the more I fall in love with him. He is the most precious person if you get to know him. He just wants to bless you. He wants to protect you. He wants to help you. Praise God. Hallelujah. I was driving down today, Lorraine. There's a car in front of me. I'm going down. I live in the country now, right? I got my John Deere hat and my piece of straw. And I talk like this. Now, sometimes I go to the, to the corner store, the bakery, and I put on these accents just to try them because they don't know me, right? And I'm like, yo, how you doing? And I, and I talk like a farmer. And it's like, they just love it. They just like, yeah, where, where, so where, where's your farm at? Oh, yeah, I'm just down on yonder, down, down there, you know. Just been working with the hay. <laughs> well, I do have hay because when I do my lawn, there is technically grass, which is hay. I'm very mischievous, Taylor. You should come with me. Sometimes I just put on these accents just to see if I'm any good at them. And apparently I am. It's amazing. Now, are you ready, Taylor? I can tell some people don't know what to think. If you're a visitor, just come back. Okay? Just come back. You got to come back at least 10 times before you'll get me. <laughs> but if you're not a visitor, then you should already have me. Hortense, why are you looking strange at me? You've been around me a long time. You know that. Now, 2 Kings, where did I tell you? Chapter 4 or 5? No, you're wrong. I said 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. I've never preached on this before. Well, I have about an hour ago. But this is only the second time. And, and I'm getting some new stuff, so don't worry. If you watch it, then you're going to get more. Now, Naaman, the captain of the host, verse 1, of the king of Syria. Who's Naaman? He's the uh, army captain. He's the chief commander of the armed forces of the king of Syria. Okay, and uh, was a great man with his master and an honorable man because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. He's got a big problem. He's, he's dying of leprosy. Leprosy exists today. Did you know that? But they have pills now you can take and, 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 and you can be healed of it by pills. Back then you got it. There was no cure. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. That's a little girl, a young lady. And she waited on Naaman's wife. What does that mean? She's a slave. Right? And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him from his leprosy. Now this is a slave girl, which doesn't probably have a lot of fondness for her slave master. I mean, she's in captivity, right? Why would she want to help her slave master? But it shows her heart. Even though she has been put in an awkward uh, uh, servitude position that is not what she wants, she sees her master, which is Naaman, she sees that he's got leprosy, that body parts are falling off, that, that his life, his future is at risk, and she feels compassion for him. And she says now to the, his wife, which is her mistress, she says, oh, I wish, I'm putting in, in simple words, oh, I wish to God, that, that there was the prophet of Samaria here. Because if there was, he would recover from his leprosy. Now, why would the little girl know that being around the prophet would produce healing? Why would they know that? Because she had seen 
in her days in Israel, before she became a captive to Syria, that when people had, obviously she had some record or proof that when people had been sick, they got around the prophet and they got healed. Otherwise, why would she equate these two things? In other words, she knew the one with the anointing on them produces the power of God and healing. And out of a, out of a heart full of love and compassion, even though she's a slave girl, she's, she says this, oh, I wish the prophet of Samaria were here because if he was, she, he'd be healed. Now, when you're telling somebody who's dying that there's hope, the word's going to get around, right? And so keep reading with me. And one went in, we don't know who, and told the Lord, who's the Lord? Laman, Naaman, saying, thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. Hey, I heard this girl say that if you got around the prophet of Samaria, your leprosy would go. Now, to somebody who's got leprosy, he's going to look into that, Right? And uh, verse 5, and the king of Syria said, so obviously Naaman's gone to his boss. Boss, the slave girl from Israel told me that the prophet in her land, Samaria is part of Israel, prophet in her land, if I can get around him, I'll be healed. Now I'm your commander of the army and you need me because I fight to make sure that your kingdom stays strong and free. So it would be in your best interest, my lord king, for you to help me on this because I need to get better. And you know there's no cure. So we see immediately all that conversation is not recorded, but we know it happened because in verse 5, the king of Syria gets involved. And he sends a letter and he says, go and I, and, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. So his boss, the king of Syria, is going to send a letter unto the king of Israel. Do you understand? Where, in, where, where uh, Elisha lives. Because he's living in Israel. And he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment, a lot of wealth. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, Naaman brings the letter from his boss to the king of Israel. And he says this, now when, and saying, now when this letter is coming to thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee that thou may recover him of his leprosy. Are you seeing what's happening? Naaman comes with the letter. The king is writing in the letter. The king of Israel reads the letter. He says, I've sent Naaman. Heal him. But, but, but nobody said the king could heal. The whole thing is about the prophet, but I don't know. Either they got mixed up or something. I don't know. But it went to the king. The king of Israel was asked to heal him. Okay. Now, it says here, in verse 7, and it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes. I mean, he is mad. He is upset. He is stressed. And he said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man would send unto me to recover a man from his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pay you, see how he seeks a quarrel against me. What is he saying? I can't heal anybody. I, can't, I don't have the power of life and death. He is asking me to heal this commander of his, but he knows I can't heal him. And then when I come back and tell him I can't do it, he's going to use that against me and say, let's have a war. So he's already, his mind's spinning. He's thinking this is a grand setup. He thinks he's being entrapped. The king knows that I can't heal him. The king's telling me to, and when I, when, when I disappoint him, he's going to use that as a prelude to war. That's not what's happening, but that's what the poor king of Israel is thinking about. Now, have you noticed something? I want you to, uh, there's some nuggets the Holy Ghost brought out that I haven't even shared in the first service. That's called speaking by the gift of prophecy, inspired utterance. 
I didn't see this in the other service, but I just heard the Holy Spirit prompt me. Did you notice, Reverend Taylor, that the secular folk, when they got whiff that there was a man of God with healing, they immediately pursued it. But the guy who's part of the Israel kingdom... The king of Israel, when he gets a letter saying heal, did you notice it didn't even cross his mind to ask Elisha? He just starts to stress and rent his clothes. In other words, he is afraid. He's thinking, oh my God, the war is coming. He's using this as a prelude to war. I can't heal. He's so focused on him not being able to do it that he forgot there was an anointed prophet who can do it in his very land. The ones on the other side of the border are thinking about the prophet. When they think of healing, they think the prophet. But the guy who's in his own country doesn't think about the healing prophet. And I'm telling you, that's just like the church. Sometimes the sinners out there are much quicker to say, you're kidding me, God can heal me? I'll come to your healing service. I don't care what you do, just heal me. But people in the church, people in the land of Israel, people in the midst, when problems come, the very first thing should be, let me go to my pastor. Let me go to God. There's power available for me. But the very first thing that they should think, Taylor, they don't even, doesn't even cross their mind. All they do is rip their clothes. Oh my God, what am I going to do with the diagnosis? And they don't realize that in their midst there's power. Now, in the Old Testament, it had to come through a man. But in the New Testament, it can come direct from God to you. Amen. And it can come through a man too. But it can come direct from God to you. Don't wrench your clothes when you get a bad report. Because if you keep looking at you, how am I going to do this? How am I going to succeed? Oh, my God, the bank says they're going to take my house. How am I going to get out? If you keep looking and saying, how am I? How am I? And you put the focus on you, you're going to over, be overcome and you're going to rip your clothes and you're going to say, this is hopeless. But if you get your eyes off you and start thinking, there's a man of God in my church that has taught me plus I've got God himself on the inside of me and between God direct and through Pastor Craig there is power available for my need why did the king of Israel not think about Elisha but the king of it but the king of Syria did I don't know I don't understand that because sometimes people in the church are so focused on them that they forget the power that's in their midst don't forget the power that's in your midst. Praise God. And not just through me, but through the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. You've got such authority and power. You can turn things. Amen. So he says he's going to try to seek a quarrel with me now. And it was so, verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes. So obviously it was such a distress. You know, in Israel, in ancient Jewish culture, you, you rent your clothes for a number of reasons. It was one of the most extreme actions for a person to do. You didn't just rent your clothes and it was a small thing. When you rent your clothes, it is an extreme action. When David's son Absalom died, the Bible said he rent his clothes. Typically, if your son or daughter or, or you're a close person to you died, you would rent your clothes. That's why God, did you know that God rent his clothes? Because the habitation where God lived in the temple was housed by that long, beautiful, six foot, six inch thick, 62 feet high veil. That was God's clothing because it housed the inner holy place where the, where the, where the, where the tablets were. That's where his presence was housed by that garment. Did you know that? And that's one of the reasons he, he ripped it for two reasons. One, because he was, he was so distraught at his son dying and having been separated from him for the first time of eternity, he ripped his garment. He ripped, and notice it says that he ripped the, the, the veil from the top to the bottom. He didn't rip it from the bottom to the top because when a, husband, when a father would rip, he'd, go, he'd grab it here and he'd rip it downward if you study it. He ripped it from the top downward. 
God ripped it from the top downward because of his utter agony that his son had lost his salvation and was basically in hell. Now, God was going to raise him up, but in that moment of agony, God ripped his own clothes. But he also ripped it to says a sign and a signal that the path is open. You don't need to go through a priest anymore. You can come directly because of what my son did. You come right into the Holy of Holies. But I'm saying when a man ripped the clothes, it was a serious act. It wasn't a light thing. So when this king ripped his clothes, the word got out. The king is distraught. And a word got to Elisha, the man of God, the prophet with the anointing. And he heard that the king was distraught. So verse 8 says, And so it was when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Whereof hast thou rent? Why have you rent your clothes? Now watch the statement. Let, them, let him come now unto me. <laughs> and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Don't you love the boldness? You see, that's expectation. He didn't go, well, you know, I'm not really sure because I haven't really, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I maybe have a board meeting. I fast and pray. I think God might heal him, but I'm not really sure if God does it every time. I just don't really know. Tell him if he's in a good mood, he can come to me, but I'm very busy too. He didn't do that. He said, why are you upset, son? Why are you upset, king? Let him come. That's what we need to be. When we see somebody at work that's distraught, why are you distraught? Come. I've got something that you don't, I've got something that you don't have. I've got God. I've got the name. I've got the power of the Holy Ghost inside of me. You don't have it because you're far from the covenants of promise, but I'm in the covenants of promise. Come and I will give you what I have. You see the boldness of the man of God. You see, when you know God, you don't question, you don't wonder, you don't doubt, you don't freak. You say, come. If you really know God, when somebody has a great need, you'll just say, come, I know who I've got on the inside of me. Now, he didn't have him on the inside, but he knew that God was on him and that, and that anointing was on him. In the New Testament, it's in us and on us. How much more should we say, come? So he says, come, bring him to me. I love that statement. My God, I'll let, I'll let everybody know that God is real. There's a prophet. In other words, God's not, he has not left. He is going to do a miracle. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Now listen to this now. There's some nuggets for you. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, most likely Gehazi, because that was his assistant. Now listen, we've just got a letter from one king to the next king saying, you better help my boy here. Now the king is upset. Elisha says, send him to me. All this big palava and rigmarole and pomp and <laughs> all this stuff is happening. He comes with all of his horses. The Bible says a great company later. He comes with all these people, a big entourage. He comes and you'd think the least thing the prophet could do is come out and say hi. <laughs> come out and pray for him. Elisha, don't even do that. Elisha just says, I've just boiled some eggs. Now, if you don't quickly get it from the hot water to the cold water and start peeling, it's going to stick to it. Have you ever tried to boil eggs when it sticks? I tried it last week and I just started smashing eggs because I got so angry. You got you to peel that stuff quick. I'm sure Elisha had just done some eggs. Or maybe he had to go and mow the lawn with his tractor. I don't know what he was doing. You can see that I'm using personal examples and transferring it onto Elisha. But I, maybe he was doing his hair and he had a jerry curl that, he had to, that was not curling right and he had to work with that. I don't know what he was doing. Maybe he was on the tanning. Maybe he was doing some tanning in the backyard. I don't know what he was doing, but I don't care what you're doing, Elisha. When this, this is a pretty big deal. When the guy shows up, at least come out and say hi and pray for him. The kings are involved. 
Your boss is involved. Another nation is involved. It's like Prime Minister Trudeau and Donald Trump collaborating and sending, I can't, I don't know anybody in his government, but somebody who's got cancer to Promise of Life Church for healing. And both presidents, prime minister, have asked for me to pray for them. And they come to the church and I just say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm studying. Taylor, go out and deal with that. That's not protocol. I should go out. But I want you to catch a tremendous principle here. He didn't do what the person thought he should do, but it was a test to see if the person would just obey and have simple, humble obedience. Listen to me. A lot of Christians want a big show. A lot of Christians want the counseling session. But when the answer comes from the pulpit, it's not enough for them. A lot of people want the glory and angels to feathers and wings and all that stuff. I feel the presence of fluff of angels' wings, whatever it is. They want the fluff of angels' wings, right? I don't think that's how the song goes, but I, that's the way I sing it. I feel the fluff of angels' wings. So they want the fluff. They want to feel it. They want this dramatic thing, but the Holy Ghost is just giving them the inner witness, but that's not dramatic enough for me. And then maybe they want a dream. Oh, yes, I must have a dream. Oh, and I must have a word of prophecy. Pastor must say, and he can't just say, uh, the Lord says, he must say, thus saith the Lord. And if he doesn't say it strong like that, then I won't accept it. And you see, maybe God doesn't want it to come as thus saith the Lord. Maybe he just wants you to pray in the Holy Ghost and him speak to you. Maybe he doesn't want to give the dramatic counseling session where you take an hour and he just wants you to close your eyes and worship and he drop it on you. In other words, Christians want this big fancy thing And God is not always into the big fancy thing. But listen to me. If you'll just obey what God tells you to do, no matter how simple and arbitrary it seems, he will come through for you. This man comes here and the messenger goes out and says, go and wash in Jordan seven times and the flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was angry and he went away and said, behold, I thought he surely would come out and stand and call upon the name of his God and strike his hand over the place. You see, it's a big show. And recover the leper. Are not Abana and far, far rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went in a rage. Listen, God is trying to get something over to him. All you have to do is shut up. Stop arguing. The rivers might be dirty, but it's what God said. Promise of life might be small and inconsequential compared to some massive ministries out there, but it's where God planted you. The action that we ask God is asking you to take might be small. It might not be dramatic. It might be alone. Did you notice the man of God wasn't with him in the river? He had to go there alone. Sometimes God will deal with you alone. The pastor won't be standing there. The counseling room won't be full. You won't have a dramatic thing striking the hand over and angels and all that stuff. Sometimes it's just a simple little thing. God just says, just do what I say. Just be faithful. You may not have all the shenaz and all this stuff going on, but if you'll just trust me and be faithful and humble and simple, I will do the greatest miracle that you've ever seen. I'm telling you, are you listening to me because I'm speaking by the Spirit? I, I had, the Lord dealt with me early this morning when I was praying. and I've never preached from this chapter before like this, but he said, I want you to talk about this because it's going to help them. Tell them some of them are waiting for a dramatic gesture. 
and I am trying to get things over to them in simple, quiet terms. Remember, Elijah was looking for the, and he had the breaking, the, the hurricane and the fire and the breaking of rocks, but it was the still small voice where the answer came. It's not always dramatic. Naaman's looking for a dramatic act, but it was the little simple, uh, the thing that you could overlook so easily, Taylor. In my life and in your life and in everyone's life, there are so many things that if you'll just do the simple, humble act and not try to be dramatic and not expect God to always do some dramatic thing, just trust him. It might not be exciting, but he'll give you your answer. Hallelujah. See, we're in danger when we're always looking for the dramatic. Most of the stuff God's ever done for me has not been dramatic. It's been in the privacy of my own room where God comes to me directly. Not when my pastor's there, not in a public service, not for everybody to see. Naaman, it wasn't with all the drama. It was just go in the dirty river and dip. And he couldn't handle it. And he was about to miss his miracle. And some of us will miss our miracles if we're trying to make things bigger and fancier than God really intends for them to be. I'm not saying God can't do it dramatically, but he doesn't always do it dramatically. So you need to renew your mind that not everything has to be dramatic. You understand? The, let me put it this way. The least dramatic way God speaks to a Christian is the only promised way in the Bible. The least dramatic way is Romans 8, 14, and 16, the bearing of inner witness. That is the least dramatic, yet it's the only thing that we can claim and that we can stand on. Other than the word, that's the number one way he speaks to you is the inner witness. And it's the least dramatic. It's unangelic. It's not dreams. It's not a word of prophecy. It's not him calling you out in a service. It's not, it's not a voice. Do you understand? It's not a fleece. It's not by working of miracles. It's by that inward knowing. It's the least dramatic hortense, but it's the only thing that we're guaranteed, and it's what we are to pursue. He can speak all the other ways, but that's the only way he's promised us. So don't look for dramatic. Just look for God. God does not always show up in the dramatic, but he always shows up. Hallelujah. So, and his servant said to him, verse 13, uh, came near and spoke to him and said, my father, you see, they were entreating him uh, like tenderly. My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much rather than when he said, wash and be clean? Why are you making it hard, Naaman? Then, so thank God he listened to them. He didn't listen to the prophet, but he listened to his servants. Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. According to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. What's the first principle that I'm trying to teach you? Number one, when you have a problem, the first thought you should have is, I've got God and I've got a pastor. Don't rent your clothes. Power is present to help you. What's the second principle? When God asks you to do something, when God's going to come through for you in a miraculous way, it's not always dramatic, so don't look for the dramatic. Just simply and humbly obey exactly what he tells you to do and keep your heart pure about it and don't be like Naaman. If God will even do it for Naaman, him being angry, how much more will God do it for us when we've got a pure heart in a better covenant? But it's the principle that remains the same. Just trust him. Don't be dramatic. Don't look for dramatic actions. Just trust that what God says is going to happen. Are you with me? So he goes down and he's clean. Now verse 15, and he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him and said, behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing from thy servant. He's offering him an offering. And he said, Elisha said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but Elisha refused. Now I know you've all been looking in the Bible diligently to find a scripture 
that tells you we're not allowed to take offerings. And now you found it. (laughs) I know that all of you have been waiting to find a verse that says, Pastor, we can't take an offering. The Bible forbids it. (laughs) Well, in this situation, God was forbidding it. But I want you to see later that God didn't always forbid it. In fact, in the previous chapter, when somebody came with his tithe and offering, the prophet received it. So he wasn't always rejecting, but there are times and seasons where God had obviously said to him, do not, don't take it this time. I've been in meetings with Dad Hagen. I mean, you're talking, Taylor, we're talking big money. Like you need big money to run those meetings. And the anointing comes so sweet and so precious. And I've seen Dad Hagen stand up and said, we're not taking an offering tonight. It would grieve the spirit. And he will forego hundreds of thousands of dollars and not take an offering because of the certain flow of the anointing. When the anointing comes in certain ways, you cannot involve money. It offends God. But yet money is connected to your heart for your treasure is your heart is. And God wants the money in the first fruits of the tithe. So we know that money itself doesn't offend it, but there's certain flows of the spirit where you can't include money in it. It offends the Holy Ghost. And yet there's other flows that God's fine with it. So you can't make it a rule and say you can never take an offering, but you can't always say that you'll always take an offering. It depends on the Holy Ghost. But then, you know, when Dad Hagen would obey the Holy Ghost and not grieve him, then the next night people would give double and triple what they were going to give the night before. And not only was the budget met, but there was more than enough. But, but you see, it's not about the money. It's about following the leading of the Spirit. Now, for whatever reason, Elisha was under an instruction from God that it was not the time to receive gifts. Now, the guy knew that Gehazi knew this because Gehazi is his, 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 his protege. So he refused. Now, watch this. And Naaman said... Well, I'm going to skip all that. Verse 17 and 18, basically, Naaman just tells him, listen, I have to go home. I'm going to go with my boss, the king of Syria. He's going to go into the temple to worship the idol Rimnon. And when I have to go or he'll kill me. And when I bow down and worship this idol, please let the Lord forgive me, for I know that he is not God, the Jehovah's God. But I have to, otherwise my life is in jeopardy. And of course, the man of God says, go in peace. Look at the heart change. He's saying, I know God's real, but I have to go and do this rigmarole because that's my job. But I want you to know when I bow down to him, I'm not bowing down in my heart. I have to, but in my heart, I honor God. And so you see there verse 19, and he says, go in peace. And he departed from him a little way. Now watch now, are you ready? Verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. In other words, he did not take the offering. Now watch now. But as the Lord liveth, but as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. Greg, now Naaman represents the congregation, people that are in need, but Gehazi represents all of us, but especially those in fivefold ministry calls. Because Gehazi was a, I didn't know this until God told me, because I've never seen Gehazi this way, but the Lord said to me, did you know that Gehazi was the next one for the anointing to come on? And then if you study it, you'll find Gehazi was part of the school of the prophets. He was a member of the school of the prophets. And when Elisha had walked with Elijah, 2 Kings 3, he poured water on his hands, made his food, washed his meals, washed his feet, did natural acts of honor for eight years until the double portion came on him. Don't you think Elisha knew that he had to pass that anointing on to somebody else? And just as he had served Elijah, he needed somebody to serve him the same way so he could pass that anointing on. And Gehazi was the one God picked. 
Out of a whole school, God picked Gehazi. Gehazi is a man that is the most honored. We don't believe in luck, but I could say it this way, if you, if you pardon the pun, the most lucky man alive. Right. The most blessed man around. He was chosen amongst an entire school to be the one that hung around privately, one-on-one, -on -one, with the greatest anointing on the earth at that time. The double portion, greater than even Elijah. And Gehazi followed him and loved him and served him just like he served his man of God, Elijah. And he watched how, how Elisha operated and he watched how the anointing worked and he saw the miracles. But I'm telling you, I was praying this morning and I heard the Holy Ghost speak to me and that's why I'm preaching this to you. And he said these words, you tell the people and you tell the ministers. It was for both, but especially the young ministers. You can be around the anointing and still not qualify. That's, right. That's what I heard him say in prayer. Tell him, son, they can be around the anointing and still not qualify. Judas was around the greatest anointing that this earth has ever seen. But something got a hold of him called greed for money. And the Bible said he was taking from the money bags. And when that lady brought honor in the, in the, in the alabaster box to honor Jesus... He said, you should give that to the poor. And Jesus said, no, that's reserved for me. And the Bible said he didn't really want to give it to the poor because he was stealing. And he, that was a year's wages. Think about a bottle of perfume that costs whatever you make in a year. That's how much it cost. 20,000, 40,000, 60,000, whatever you make, one bottle of perfume costs that much. And she breaks it over his feet. And he wanted to take that money and steal it because he had been stealing. The man around the greatest anointing on the planet corrupted his heart for money. Uh, Gehazi, around the greatest anointing on the planet, corrupted his heart for money. I'm telling you, this and not just ministers, anybody, just because you're in church doesn't mean you automatically qualify. Just because you're around a man of God, just because you're a staff member and you're around me more, just because you're in this church and you're around the anointing and you're learning and growing doesn't mean you automatically are a success. That's right. You can be around the anointing and lose it all. Judas did, Gehazi did, and many others in the Bible, I can give you examples of them doing the same thing. Because just because you're around somebody that knows God doesn't mean you know God. And you've got to guard your heart. Listen, just because I'm around Pastor Nancy doesn't mean I automatically qualify. I have to constantly guard my heart. Guard my heart about her. Guard my heart about God. Keep soft and humble when he corrects me, when she corrects me, when my wife corrects me, which is daily. I have to keep my heart pure and soft about money. When people, when people lie and accuse me, when people misquote me, when people mock me, and it all, all of that happens, I gotta keep my heart right, because just because I'm around her, just because I'm around Brother Jerry and a little bit Brother Copeland and these great men, doesn't mean, I, doesn't mean I, I'm set. James, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta guard my heart, brother. Because things will try to take me out. I'm trying, trying to tell you something very important. Just because you're around a great church doesn't mean that you'll make it. You've got to, it's a daily, you've got to guard your heart. Because there's temptation at the door any moment. Trying to get you off, trying to pull you away. Trying to get you into the world's way of thinking. And nothing gets you faster than a, than a mishandling of money. Money is a tool. It's not something we worship. We can't serve it. We use it and we believe God for it because it's a tool, but it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't have us. No matter how blessed you are, no matter how wealthy you are, or how not wealthy you are, it should never have you. 
Praise God. So he says now, I want you to notice, as the Lord liveth. Here's a man, Reverend Greg, so deceived. He's around the anointing, but he's so deceived that he puts God's name on what he's about to do. Because he says, as the, he didn't just say, I'll do it. He said, as God himself lives, so I will do this action. If you study the Old Testament, whenever somebody said that phrase, as the Lord liveth, what they're saying is God himself is putting his stamp of approval on this action. When he, when Elisha said to Elijah, as the Lord liveth, I will not leave thee. What he was saying is, as God himself approves of what I'm saying, God will help me make this right. I will never leave you. Now he's saying, as God himself lives, I'm going to go and take an offering that wasn't mine. Can you think of some, can you believe somebody can be around the anointing, around God's power, and yet be so deceived that they're now putting God's name on thieving? It's one thing if you're a sinner out there, but this man's been around the anointing. How could Judas do what he did to Jesus? I got a bigger one for you. How could Lucifer? who saw God in his magnificence, who danced, the Bible says, and walked, and the Hebrew word says, to whirl in joy and spin in joy in the coals of fire at God's very feet. How could he be there, see that, know God the way, the highest created being ever that's been created in heaven? How could he see it, James, and then turn and say, I'll kill you? I'm telling you, that is the ultimate deception. If Satan, Lucifer, could do that to Jehovah, we can understand how Judas can do that to Jesus. We can understand how Gehazi can do that to Elisha. I can understand how people can do that to me because just because you're around the word and just because you're around the anointing and just because you're around men of God doesn't mean you get a free pass. If you don't guard your heart, you'll lose everything. Are you listening to me? Because I'm speaking to some of you by the Spirit. And so he says, as the Lord liveth, I'll take what I want. So Gehazi followed after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running, he lightened off the chariot to meet him and said, Is all you well? And he said, All is well. Now, now watch the lies. My master has sent me. Lie. Now he lies again. Making up something that Elisha said when he didn't say anything. Saying, behold now, even there come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray, the talent of silver and two changes of raiment. I mean, he's totally, it's diabolical what he's doing. He's putting God's name on a direct lie. And yet he's been around the anointing. He's got no excuse. And Naaman said, because he's so happy to be healed. He asked for one talent. What does Naaman do? He says, I'll double it. Take two. Talk about generous. And Naaman said, be content. Take two talents. And he urged him. And so he bound two talents of silver and two bags and two changes of raiments and laid them upon two of his servants. And they bear them before Gehazi. Verse 24. And when he came to the tower, he came home. He took them from the servant's hands, bestowed them or hid them in his house. Let the servants go back to Naaman, and they departed. Now watch verse 25. And when he came in, oh, he has to present himself to the man of God now. He's just, (laughs) man, he's he's got boldness. I'll give him that. He's stupid, but he's got boldness. See, deception will make you bold where you shouldn't be bold. 
And he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said unto him, Where have you come from, Gehazi? Now, this is his one chance to get out. I believe, it doesn't say it, but you can't mis- disprove it, and I can't prove it, but I'm telling you, I believe that if he had humbled himself and said, Man of God, the money got the better of me. I lied. I did wrong. Please forgive me. I believe God in his mercy would have picked him back up. God will always give you a second chance, but you won't always get a third. Are you listening? Where have you come from? And what did he say? Thy servant has gone nowhere. Oh my God. So he put God's name on it. He went, the, just going was wrong. Then he gets there and he didn't just ask for himself. He lied and said that his master asked. Made up a whole story. Hides it in his house. And then when the man of God asks him, he lies again and said, I didn't go anywhere. Now watch. Verse 26. And he said unto him, Elisha said unto Gazi, went not my heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Hmm. What's he saying? We don't exactly, I don't know, maybe you're better than me, Greg, doctrinally. But we know this is the gift of the spirit in operation. Whether this was a word of knowledge, probably it was a vision that he had. That God showed him in the realm of the spirit a vision where he saw Naaman get off the chariot and turn to him. So he saw it in the spirit happen, even though he wasn't physically there. But the way he terms it is, did not my heart go with thee? In other words, God has revealed it to me. I was standing watching you, even though I wasn't there, but my spirit was there. Do you understand? Listen, uh, when there's a problem, I've learned this, Reverend Greg, when there's a problem and, and you're facing somebody that's just bold-faced lying, but you can't prove it, the gifts of the Spirit always tip the scales. The gifts of the Spirit always tip the scales. Oh, my God. It was his word against Elisha's, but the gifts of the Spirit tip the scales. My Lord. And now watch what he said now. He said, I've, I saw the guy meet you. In other words, you're a liar. Now watch this phrase. Is it a time to receive money? In chapter 4, he received money from someone. But in chapter 5, it was not time. There were seasons where God said don't, and there were seasons where God said that's fine. You've got to know the season. He had told his protege, don't touch it. God has said not this time. And the protege violated that. Is it time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? Question mark. Now watch this. The leprosy, therefore, of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever, end quote. And he went out from the presence of Elisha as a leper, white as snow. Now listen to me. You're around the anointing. You're around God's man. You're around power. You're around it. You're around preaching. You can still miss it if you don't guard your heart. You can so be so deceived and get so messed up that you're now justifying and even putting God's name on it. I've met people, they put God's name on it, Greg. Put God's name on it, and they're liars. Attacking, but they put God's name on it. God was so disgusted in that action. This is a young minister. This is the one to take Elisha's place. His future was bright, and he's lost it. Now, I want you to catch how serious God is about this judgment. He didn't just say leprosy came on him. If you study what leprosy is, which I have, leprosy is a disease, but it takes time. You don't turn white as snow instantly. It takes time. But your skin does turn white and then start to crumble and things start to fall off. Digits. Do you understand? But within seconds of him pronouncing that, 
Within seconds, his skin instantly turned white, which means God sped up the leprosy process on purpose so that he walked in normal and he walked out white as snow. That's how serious God took it. I'm telling you. You take a lesson from the Bible, my brothers and sisters. This is what God said to me this morning when I woke up. Take it or leave it. Do whatever you want with it. But my job is to deliver it. It's your job to receive it. I heard the Lord say, tell them just because they're around my word, just because they're around the anointing, just because they're in a good church, just because they're around you as their pastor does not mean they automatically qualify. They must guard their hearts because temptation lies at the door. This man, if anybody was going to win, Gehazi was going to win, but he didn't. I want to tell you something else. I'm watching the time. It's 2.51. Relax. Relax. We start at 1. We end at 3, 3.15. Yeah. Maybe 4. We just, we just relax. No, it's two, 2 hours, 15 minutes. I'm not even at the 2-hour mark. Relax. Your Father's Day gift will wait. Praise God. I want to tell you something. The Lord, Lord showed me something else. A lot of little nuggets. A lot of little nuggets. I won't read it for the sake of time, but if you look at the chapter before with the great woman whose son died, remember? She runs to him and says, all is well. What, is, what does Elijah, Elisha do? He says, take my staff, Gehazi. The staff represented the power of God like Moses when he stretched it out over the waters. It represented the anointing. It was symbolic of it. He said, take my staff, go ahead of me, and lay it upon the face of the child. Why did he say that? Because his next of line, his protege, his trainee, who was going to take his place one day, had to learn how to flow with the anointing. And Elisha is not going to make a mistake. He knows the power of God is in this piece of wood because it's representative of it. If you take this and you lay it there, she will, the boy will get up. He fully expected it to work. Yet Gehazi takes the power of God, goes to the child, lays it on his face, and nothing happens. And he comes back to tell the man of God, hey, buddy, it didn't work. But nothing Elijah, Elisha had ever done up until that point had not worked. Everything he had done up until that moment had worked. The first occasion you find in the Bible of the power of God not working for Elisha was with the raising through Gehazi's hand. It's the first and only time in the entire story of Elisha where the anointing didn't work for him. And the Lord, I didn't know that. The Lord showed me and the Lord said to me, he said, did you notice, listen to me, this will help you. Before he touched the money in chapter five, the anointing had stopped working for him in chapter four. He hadn't even taken the money. Naaman hadn't even shown up yet, but his heart had been corrupted. And when your heart, listen to me, I'm giving you a hint. I'm giving you a nugget. Everybody may think that you're great, but in your heart, you know if there's something wrong. And if you don't deal with your heart, even before you do the, the outlandish action, if you don't guard your heart and deal with your heart and keep it soft and keep it humble before God, the, you'll see the anointing in your life won't work the same. The anointing didn't work for him the chapter before, Greg. It was the only time it ever didn't work for Elisha. Why? It was supposed to work, but because Gehazi had something was wrong with his heart, it stopped the flow of God. And I'm telling you, I don't have a doubt in my mind from that moment. Elisha may have suspected it before, but from that moment, Elisha started watching him. This doesn't happen to me. I've never had a failure once. When I, have, when I tell you to do something, God follows my word. 
Now all of a sudden I give an instruction and it don't work? No, 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 no. It's not God's side and it's not my side. Something's wrong with you, boy. I bet I know it. He was watching him from that. And the very next chapter, we see what had started to corrupt him. Now, see, it starts in the heart. You don't see it at first. It starts in the heart. Remember, the Bible even says in, in, in Isaiah and Ezekiel that Lucifer was corrupted in his heart first before he spoke or did actions. Because God said when sin was found in thy heart. He hadn't even spoken and he hadn't done anything. He hadn't tried to revolt against God. He hadn't tried to recruit the angels. He hadn't tried to kill God, but sin was found in his heart. Before he ever did a thing, something in his heart turned. And before Gehazi actually reached out and took it and lied about it, his heart, the chapter before, had turned. And that's why the power of God stopped working. I'm telling you, you got to watch your heart. You can be around me. You can be around other ministers. You can be around the church. You can be around the whole thing. If you don't guard your heart, the anointing will stop helping you. It will stop working for you. In other words, as you're sitting here, as your heart gets hard, all the stuff that God's trying to pour on you, it just, it just doesn't get in. It's like you're hardened ground, like Mark 4 says, the seed of the word's trying to get in, but the birds keep picking away. Something's not going down because you hardened your heart. And that anointing can't help you. It just bounces off you. And that's the first danger sign, buddy. You better pay attention because it's not long before now an action will take place. Do you understand? When you take that action, now you're, yeah, you're, you're done. You'll get separated out of the plan of God. You'll, you'll, I'm telling you, it, it's a mess. So I say all that to say, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Because you can be around the greatest people on the earth and still fail. How is it possible, Greg? You can be around the greatest preachers on the planet and still fail. Judas was around Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, and he failed miserably and is burning in hell today. It's a hard thought, but he will burn forever. He was around Jesus. He was around. Lucifer was around God, the creator, and he turned I'm telling you, nobody is exempt. You guard your heart. You keep your heart soft. You keep it tender before God. Out of it, the Bible says, flow the issues of your whole life. Keep it soft. Now, I'm not done. I'm almost done. That's where I ended. But, I, but as I was in worship, the Lord said something to me. Taylor, I've got to get it out, my brother. I've got to get it out. So we see here he turns white as snow. Now, can you turn? That was what? Chapter 5, right? Now, go down to chapter 6. Can you just five minutes? And the sons of the prophets said to Elijah, Behold, now is the place where we were dealing with the Jews. Let us go. I've got to grow fast because you guys are stressing me out. Let us go really to Jordan. They want to go build another house, whatever it is. It doesn't really matter what they're saying. And one said, Be content. I And so he goes with them, verse 4. He went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down the wood. And one fell in being an axe head fell in the water. And he cried and said, Last man is Rabar. And the man of God said, Where did it fall? He showed blah, 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 blah. Go down to verse 7. Therefore he said, Take it up to thee and put it out his hand. He took it. Okay. From verse 1 to 7. All I want you to take away is one simple point. Where was Elisha? He was with the sons of the prophets. Yes. What did, are you, are you, are you, are you catching this? Yeah. He just cursed his protege who went out a leper. Yeah. And the first thing Elisha does is he goes to the school of the prophets. Yeah. Why? Because he's looking for a new protege. Yeah. Are you with it? Do you see it? He has to go. That's where Gehazi came from, the school of the prophets. Now he's going, he has to find a replacement for Judas. The one who betrayed him. The one who's out there white as snow. Now he really needs a tan. 
No tanning bed's going to help that guy. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's done for it. And his kids and his grandkids are going to get it too. I mean, talk about it. That's just bad. That's just bad news. Now, listen, let's, let's get off of his eye. He's looking for a new person to train. He goes amongst the prophets. It doesn't say it, but I'm telling you, he found a new candidate because of the next story. Now, watch this, and I'm going to close because the Lord said something wonderful to me. Are you ready? So he took a, where are we, verse uh, 8. And the king of Syria warred. Now listen, the king of Syria just had Naaman come home healed. Boy, how people turn quick. Instead of being grateful, now he wants to make war. And the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with the servants, saying, In such and such a place shall my camp be. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel. Elisha said to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. In other words, they're planning a trap, but the man of God knows it by the gifts of the Spirit and warns his king so that he doesn't fall into the trap. Are you there? And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved him there not once or twice. This happened over and over Again, the Syrian king says, we're going to take him here. And Elisha, by the gifts of the Holy Ghost, says, hey, king, they're going to, oh, you didn't get that. Be quiet. I don't want you to try again. And the, sorry, excuse Siri. She's rude. And, and the king of Syria, the king of Syria says, how come every time we go and try to do a trap, they know about it? And then somebody finally smartens up and says, that's because they got a prophet. <laughs> So, uh, are you ready now? Verse 11. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? There's a traitor in my midst. Who's whispering? You hear what I say, you go run off to him. And one of his servants said, No, my lord, O king, we're not traitors. But it's Elisha's fault. The prophet that is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber. You can't do that except by the gifts of the Spirit. Then he says, go and spy. This is like a, you can make a, a Robert Ludlum movie out of this. I mean, this is Tom Clancy material. This is a spy novel. Now they're spying where he is. They're hiding in the bushes with black hats. Where is he? Go and spy where he is that I may send and catch him. And it was told him saying, he's in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man, hey, did you get that? The servant of the man of God. He is the brand new protege that just came from the school of the prophets. And this is his inaugural. This is the first experience that he's ever had with Elijah. I'm telling you, I feel bad for this guy. He's just green. He's a greenhorn. He don't know nothing. And the first thing he gets is people wanting to kill him, surrounding him. And the servant of the man of God risen early. Well, he rose early because he had to make him eggs. He wants pancakes. Elisha wants a real breakfast. None of this continental nonsense. He wants a good breakfast. This guy has to make his food for him. He's risen early. He's probably so scared and so nervous he wants to get up and pray lest the man of God strike him dead or something. He gets up early and goes forth and behold, a host encompassed the city, horses and chariots. And his servant, this new protege, says unto Elisha, Alas, my master, what are we going to do? And he answered, Do not be afraid, 
For they that be with us are more than them with than them that be with them. And Elisha prayed and the, said, Lord, I pray, open the eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. And when they came down, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, smite this people with blindness. And the Lord smote them according to that. I'm telling you, don't get on Elisha's bad side. And you read the rest of the story. He leads them down and the king of Syria is so freaked out he leaves. And stops harassing them. But this is what the Lord said to me. Are you listening? I'm ending it with this. He said this to me in worship. I heard him say this. He said, did you notice, son? He often says it that way to me. Did you notice, son, that if Gehazi had guarded his heart, Gehazi would have had that next experience? I said, yes, sir, I noticed that. Now listen to me. He said, tell the people. Tell the people if they'll just guard their heart and they'll stay with you. What is coming, they're going to see the glory. This Gehazi saw some stuff, but Greg, what this new protege experienced, he didn't just see God's power. I mean, he saw an army of fire angels, horses, and chariots. He saw the glory of God, the delivering power of God in a very dramatic way. I'm telling you, if Gehazi had stuck with his man of God, he would have had his eyes open. He would have seen great. And what I'm trying to say is this. If he had just stayed and guarded his heart, he would have seen the greater glory. But he didn't. He didn't guard his heart and he lost it all. And another young man who replaced him. Did you notice my brother and sister when one lost it because they didn't guard their heart? God replaced them. Did you notice it? Did you notice that nobody is indispensable? That we're, God loves us, but we can't hold a leverage over God and say, you, you can't do it without me. When somebody loses it and gets removed because of sin in a hardened heart, God immediately raises somebody up. <laughs> Last week, I was frustrated because somebody had asked me for counseling. I had given them counseling. This is three years ago. Showed them in the word. They looked right at me in my face and said, I will not do that. I'm going to do my, my way. And anyway, I, I just love them, put up with them. Eventually, they got offended and they left. And they left some time ago. But I said to the Lord, Lord, actually, the Lord brought it to me and said, you know how that person left after you tried to help them because they didn't want to follow the word? I said, yes, Lord. He said, don't you worry, son. I'm replacing them. Now, they're precious to God. But God is not going to let the vision suffer because somebody won't obey the Bible. He said, you watch, I'm replacing him. And this week we had one person that has never come to the church join with three other people. And we had another person call the church and said, we've never come, but we've been watching live stream for three months. God told us to join the church. And one week with that person, we had three or four people join the church in one week that that same person left. And I've heard the Holy Ghost say, I told you, son, not that they're not important to me, but if they don't guard their heart and they quit on you, I won't let the vision suffer. It wasn't your fault that they quit. It was their fault for not guarding their heart. I did my job. They didn't do their job. That's not my fault. Why should I suffer? Because they didn't do their part. And see, what I'm saying is when people don't obey and they get disconnected and they move on, God still loves them. He'll bless them as far as he's able, but he won't let me suffer because they made the error. He replaces people very quickly. And if I mess up, he'll replace me. Do you understand? What I'm trying to say to you is if Gehazi 
had kept his heart, he would have seen the greater glory. But when Gehazi missed it, what did God do? He immediately replaced him. And that other young man saw the greater glory. I don't know how to explain it to you in English because sometimes things of the Spirit can, it's hard to put it in, in, in an English word. I could say it in tongues, but I don't know how to say it in English really other than to say this. I'm just telling you the word of the Lord came to me during our worship service today, Taylor. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, if you'll just tell them, son, if they'll just guard their heart and stay put, they're about to have their eyes opened and they're about to see some stuff. Did you hear what I said? If you would guard your heart and stay put, you're about to have your eyes opened and you're about to see some stuff. I want to see the glory of God. I want to see into that realm. I want God to reveal his great power and his dramatic nature. I'm not looking for it. Remember I said, don't search for the dramatic, just obey God. But God can be non-dramatic like he was with Naaman and he can also be dramatic like he was with the angels of fire. I heard him say, if they'll just guard their heart and stay put, they're about to have their eyes open. They're about to see some stuff. So in their personal life, I want you to claim that. Lord, I'm keeping my heart and I'm staying put. You're about to cause me to see some stuff. And in the church corporate life, our congregation, claim it. Stand with me. Father, as a congregation, we're guarding our heart and we're staying put. Now it's time to open our eyes so we can see some stuff. We need to see some stuff, Taylor. We need to see more revelation in the Word. That's, right. That's part of seeing some stuff. We need to see more in the realm of the Spirit. That's part of seeing some stuff. We need to see more miracles. We need to see more healings. We need to see more dramatic conversions to Christianity. We need to see the glory of God. Like I sang this morning, that Lord, we're singing about your glory. We need to see some stuff. Yes. Yes, Hallelujah. And that's when he spoke it to me. When I was singing that, I heard him say, if they'll keep their heart, I'm about to open their eyes. They're about to see some stuff. They're going to see my glory just like you've been singing. They're going to see my glory. I'm going to see his glory, James, because I can guarantee you one thing. I can't speak for everybody else, but I can tell you one thing. I'm going to guard my heart and I'm going to keep it soft before God and I'm going to stay exactly where he planted me and I'm going to obey him and he's going to let me see some stuff, Taylor. I'm going to see some stuff. Do you know, Beverly? I'm going to see some stuff. I'm going to see the glory of God come. I'm going to see it in Africa. I'm going to see it in the Philippines when I go. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going. I'm going to see it in this church. I'm going to see it when I go to Brazil next year. I'm going to see it in Liberia. I'm going to see the glory of God. Because he said, if you'll guard your heart, I'll open your eyes that you see some stuff. Amen. My God, I hope that encourages you. If it doesn't, you're half dead. If it doesn't, I need to cast the devils out of you. Because I'm telling you, if your heart is for God, say, Father, I'm going to say, put, I'm going to guard my heart. Open up my eyes. Let me see some stuff. Let me see your word in a new way. Let me see miracles. Let me see them by my hands. Let me see them in the services. Father, let me see your glory like that young man saw the glory. Hallelujah. God will replace the Gehazi if he has to, but it was never his highest flow. He wanted Gehazi to see some more stuff. So guard your heart. Heavenly Father, as we end today's message and service, we thank you for your help. Lord, let this word, a lot of little nuggets all the way through this, Father. A lot of little nuggets that will help them if they wrote them down, if they pay attention to them. But Father, the main thing is just because we're around Christian people, around church, around faith, around the preached word, around the anointing, around a pastor... Just because we're here doesn't mean that we automatically are exempt. Doesn't mean we automatically are going to win. We've got to keep our heart right. We've got to guard it. We've got to watch for temptation will come. T tests and trials will try to steal us away. Father, we guard our heart. Because if we do, we're going to see some stuff. You're going to open our eyes and we're going to see and behold the glory of God. 
like that young man did. Lord, we don't want you to replace us with somebody else. We want to be the Gehazi that stays put and that sees the next level of God's glory. Gehazi had seen a measure, but this was another level. So Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. I bless you and I praise you today. I thank you for every heart in this church, in this building now, and those watching that are pure, that are true, that Lord are humble, and that just want what you want and don't want what you don't want. I thank you that you help them to guard their heart, that the anointing will keep working for them, that they won't be a Gehazi that stops that flow of the anointing because they've corrupted themselves, that they'll keep pure, humble, and gentle before you. And if they'll stay in their place, Father, you've promised that you'll cause them to see the manifold glory of God and the, what's coming, we've never seen it, it's coming. Lord, the days ahead are the brightest days the church has ever had. Father, what is coming in the last day, great revival is greater than anything we've ever seen in our lifetimes. And Lord, we're gonna see the glory like that young new protege saw it. Let us be the Gehazi that stays put. In Jesus' mighty name.